Normally, we would put up with a lovely bit of sales spill or a lovely picture that told us how you can make me fitter by subscribing to your course or taking those weird tablets. Now, because of our tolerance level being so bad and so hyped up, we don't have space for that. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. So people out there thinking that you are going to sell your product today by smooth copy and manipulating pictures and you know false promises, I'm telling you, you're spinning your wheels in the mud there. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. I'm your host, Marian Abrams. I hope you'll walk away from this episode with some real practical, tactical things that you can do to grow your audience, to sell your product, or to spread your message. But I also hope you'll walk away from this episode, and every episode, with some bigger questions. Questions about where the ethical lines lie when you're marketing. Those fine lines between persuasion and manipulation. Today's guest is Steve D. Sims. He's probably best known for his book, Blue Fishing. Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine called him the real-life Wizard of Oz, the guy that could get anything done, crazy, bold things. He created incredible experiences for people. But like most successful and interesting people, he's checked that box and moved on to new things. You can find out more about those things at his website, stevedsims.com. We cover a lot of things in this conversation, from the best way to really network and get what you're looking for from others, how to get real answers and the value of curiosity, to the importance from a practical and a human standpoint of being yourself. Double down on you. As Steve says, anyone that did anything fantastical didn't do it by copying everyone else. And if you like this episode, do me one favor. Please tell one friend about the show someone you think would be interested in it. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Steve as much as I did. So I know you have a podcast. That's in part what I've been listening to, which is called The Art of Making Things Happen. And let's start by just talking about that. What made you start that? And what is The Art of Making Things Happen? What's that all about? So for a start, my wife will confirm that I've never overthought anything in my life. And I'm not quite sure if that's a good thing when she says it. but I do, and then think about it afterwards. And I thought to myself, shall I have a podcast? And I literally just went on Facebook and I went, hey, shall I have a podcast with some of my chums? And they went, yeah. And I went, all right, fine. So following day, I went out and I, I bought the mandatory Yeti and I bought everything else that was crap. And then I recorded like five chats and then I listened to them and was violently ill and so they'll never see the light of day. And then I thought to myself, well, hang on a minute, I'm going about it wrong. So I learned about what you do need to do for a podcast. But with me, I believe if it doesn't move the needle, what's the point? You know, so I'm all about, you know, how this helps me, how this helps someone else. What is the point? So I asked myself, what's the point of doing a podcast? Now, a lot of people do podcasts because it's a really easy way to get to speak to people they normally would never get to speak to. Fine, great. That's what's in it for you. But what's in it for the people listening? So that's what I came down to. And I realized I'm not an interviewer. But hey, I can hang out in a bar with anybody. So we literally went, hang on a minute, let's not do an interview. Let's not do a podcast. Let's have a bar chat. I found that once I turned it into a conversation, I was having fun with it. But then the point became other people could eavesdrop 
in me just chin-wagging with a mate and delving in. Because let's be honest, you ask those questions, maybe the trickier questions when you've had a couple of whiskeys and you're on the bar end. So that's the way I went to it. So the art of making things happen is to get people to, to voyeur, voyeuristic, if that's the right word, uh, a conversation with me and my buddies. So first of all, I love this because you don't know this about me, but my background for the last eight years, I've been the behind the scenes producer of a podcast. And in the last year, I've started coaching new podcasters. And those are the exact questions we ask. What are you trying to do? What is the needle you're trying to move, right? So you're way ahead of the game there. But here's my question to you. So what is the difference between a bar chat and an interview? Because you're great at a bar chat, right? So what are those things that you need to do to be good at it? So the interview usually consists of someone saturating themselves with the guest that's going to come on, whether it be reading that book, listening to that podcast, getting totally immersed in that person to the falsehood that they think they know the person. So when the, <laughs> Which we just discussed. <laughs> yeah, so when the interview starts, it's like, oh, welcome back, Steve. Oh, it's good. And the trouble is, you end up having a conversation about stuff that you know because you listen to everything, but the audience doesn't. It's like when you've got a buddy with yourself and your mate's walking down the road and they go, there's a blue bean. And you laugh because there's an inside joke of when you were at school and a, something happened with a blue bean. But the audience is like, what the hell are you going on about? So that's the mistake that com- now, comedy wait, happens. Sorry, I'm going to jump in and you'll see I'm an interrupter. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Because if I'd had a couple of beers right now, I would definitely be. <laughs> there you go. Right? And, and there you go. <laughs> so, but I would have thought the bar chat would have had more inside jokes than the interview. No, because the bar chats are unrehearsed. Okay. So, and that's the big difference. The interviewer, too rehearsed, too perfect, set of questions. The bar chat is like, hey, Marion, how you doing? How's the kids? You know, what's going on? You're having a conversation, and then you're like, what are you doing with your business? Why are you doing it like that? Why did you go into that? Hey, I saw that failed. What did you learn from that? The thing about having a bar chat is nothing's prepared and nothing's off the table. And it's two people having a conversation. And here's the key word, a curious conversation. The trouble is with interviews, it's like, so what age were you when the, what did you do this? And that happened. And I listened to your podcast. What it, it's just, it's monotonous and it's too single tone, but two guys bumping into each other, you know, a guy and a girl, whatever, bumping into a bar and having a curious conversation with a couple of old fashions. That's how I like to perform. So I may be wrong about this, but I think a big part of kind of your superpower is relationships. And if that's the case, and you can tell me if I'm totally wrong, but you must be really good at the bar chat. What makes a great bar chatter? What is it that you do in conversations that makes those great connections? So I'll give you, I'll break a myth straight off and Jeffrey can back this up. I'm not good with people. I don't care what you watched on Netflix last night. I don't care about your cat fluffy. I don't care about any of that. But I want to have a conversation what's impacting you or what concerns you or what was successful for you. I want to have a meaningful conversation. My definition of hell is being thrown into a networking event and everyone going, hi, I'm Bill. Don't care. What do you do? You know, is that interesting? Yeah, I'll stay with you. No, not interested. Gone. 
that's me. Also, it benefits me, and there's a reason that I've maintained this gorgeous look of ugliness. I want people to be intimidated. If this look keeps, and for those people that, that can't see this video, 240 pound of biker ugly, tattoos, goatees, bald head, eyebrow piercings, if that keeps you away, success. You know, then I've achieved what I was going for. If you look past that and go, all right, I want to have a conversation. Hey, now I'll converse with you. So I think the thing is, when you have a conversation with someone, you want to find out what's going on. I'll go to an event, and if I'm lucky, have two good conversations. But I don't like the people that think it's like business card lottery, and they fly around the room collecting as many business cards as possible, and no one knows who they are. So I'm not good with the small talk, but I really want to get to know people that are interesting and are interested in me and challenge my line of thought. And for those, that's what building a relationship is. And I think the real key is to care about the conversation. And also, this I think will maybe challenge a lot of people, care about your position in that conversation. If it's not working for them or it's not working for you, then just go, hey, let's not waste each other's time. They're saying exciting us. All the best. Enjoy your night and move. People will find that blunt, but I have quite often just gone, hey, good luck with you. You seem like a good lad, but we're not on the same planet here. So go and enjoy yourself with the rest of the crowd. Bye-bye. And just leave the conversation. A lot of people will have trouble doing that. And they'll spend 30 minutes talking about toenails or that cat fluffy. That ain't happening to me. So actually, that brings a question to mind that I didn't plan to ask. I didn't actually plan to ask any of these questions so far. But you don't know me. You know Jeffrey. I do. You don't know my podcast. You don't know what I'm talking about. Why did you agree to do the interview? Relationships is about trust and credibility. And Jeffrey's got you know both of those with me. So when Jeffrey turned around and went, it's a new podcast, is interesting. I think this is your kind of character because he knows what an arsehole I am. So he's not <laughs> going to put me with someone that's going to go, oh, Steve, do you like cats? No, I don't. You know, he's not going to do that to me. So when he brought it up and we don't know each other, but I do believe today I can make more money. I can make things happen, but something that a lot of the time you really have to dig for is meeting good people. And I believe that as the world moves in two directions, one, transactional, you know, we are used to barking orders at Siri, Alexa, you know, we're used to going, Amazon, order me toilet roll, and it's done, you know? We're moving into a very much of an AI transactional society where we're used to that, And on the flip side, where it is devilishly painful at the moment, we're actually getting scared of having conversations. We're scared of saying something where someone goes, oh, I don't like your undertones there. You're not as woke as you think you are. Well, you know, screw that. I think the conversations that are disturbing are the ones we need to have. I think we need to be having conversations with people and go, well, hang on a minute. Why are you like that? Why do you think that's right? Why do you think it's wrong? Someone asked me years ago, if you could have a dinner with anyone in the planet, alive or dead, who would it be? And straight off the bat, I went, that's easy, Hitler. And they were like, why would you want to have a conversation with Hitler? And I said, I want to know 
why a guy that was trying to build the ultimate race of humans, tall, blonde, and blue-eyed, and German, when he was short, brown-haired, brown-eyed, and Austrian. He was building a master race that would eventually kill him. What was he terrified of, and why was he doing this? It didn't make sense to me. And I think those conversations, those difficult conversations, are the one that we need to be having. The downside is we're actually running away from conversing. And if we run away from conversing, how can we have a relationship? So I don't know where it's going to go with me and you, but I knew we were going to have a conversation because I knew Jeffrey wouldn't put me with a flake. (laughs) We'll see if I live up to that. You have already. You're good. So how would you get Hitler to tell you that? I mean, because just thinking about humans, right? If you were to walk into a room and you were to ask that question the way you just asked it, it would probably put him on the defensive and he probably wouldn't tell you the real reason. How would you go about that? How would you dig after that? Very easy. First of all, you'd say, I am fascinated with your mindset. I'm fascinated with, you know, what happened that created this passion for you to do this. You're not saying you agree with it. You're just fascinated with it, which I am. I think I'm fascinated because it's just wrong in every possible way. But if you confront someone like that, then, yeah, they're going to clam up and they're going to run away. But you can suck it out of them by position. I've worked with some of the greatest, powerful, and richest people in the planet. And I remember I was working with uh, Elton John for eight years. And this guy walked up to him in a bar. It was Elton's party. It was his Oscar party. It wasn't quite a bar in London, but it was just his party. And he went, hey, 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 Sir Elton, how much would it cost me to have you come and sing at my event? Elton turned around and said, I'm sorry, I'm busy, so I'm not going to be able to do that, and walked off. Didn't say the date, didn't say the month, didn't say the year, but because he had approached Elton with a price tag request, it made Elton John a prostitute, okay? And you don't want to be a prostitute unless you are a prostitute. So the bottom line of it is never lead with the price tag. Always frame the conversation to get them into the point. And that's what I would do with Hitler. I would tell him that I'm fascinated by his mindset and I would like to learn more. I would like to understand what happened for you to pursue this route. Again, not saying I agree with it. No one could. But I want to know how he got to to where he got to. So that this has the right context, I think not all of the listeners will know kind of the thing that you were known for primarily before you started your mastermind group that you do now. I don't know if you call it a mastermind, but your your group, which is the bluefish thing. Can you explain what that is so that we can have the context? Yeah, context. Left school at the age of 15 into an Irish bricklaying family and just woke up one day and went, is this it? And like all entrepreneurs, I think we're aggravated. And it's those aggravated oysters that make pearls. We go, I've got to do better than this. And so I left the bricklaying world to try and find a better life for me. And of course, that life I wanted was money and flash cars and all this kind of thing. Because I was riding around on a motorbike in a black t-shirt. Fast forward now, I'm 55 years old. I have no car, but I have a garage full of motorcycles. And I'm still in a black t-shirt. But along the way, I started throwing parties for affluent people. Not because, again, I'm a warm, fuzzy person. But I wanted to have a room full of rich people that I could walk into and go, hey, why are you rich and I'm not? You know, that was the question I wanted to ask. I built the world's largest experiential concierge firm, and I've been asked to do things like get people married in the Vatican by the Pope, send them down to the Titanic, play on Augusta, get them into Elton John's Oscar party, get them a drum lesson with Guns N' Roses, 
get them on stage with the rock band journey. You know, I've been the the wish fulfillment, the make a wish foundation for people with really big checkbooks. So I launched that company again as a Trojan horse to get me to talk to billionaires. And then I released Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen three years ago. And to be completely blunt, didn't think it would do much. I just wanted to put my point of view out there, my tactics of how I got to work with these people. And it took off. And now it's a bestseller in, you know, America, Poland, Korea, China. It's gone all over the world and it's been translated into, I think it's like six languages and currently being translated into Russian. And uh, along the way, I launched uh, Speakeasy, Sims Distillery, and my free Facebook group on Entrepreneurs Advantage with Steve Sims. So it just took me into a different world because I was amazed at how many people limit their dreams, limit their reach for what they can achieve, and how they try to buy an app for it. That was the thing that really got me. No matter what they do, they go, oh, yeah, I like what you're saying. Let me see if I can get an app for this. There's no app to help you communicate with another human being to build up a relationship. And I think today we're in a relationship economy. And I think a lot of people are losing badly on that. So I say very much, you can make more money, you can lose money. As long as you've got the right relationships, you'll make that money back again. So focus on that. So to me, relationships, what you've done with relationships could be perceived as like one-on-one marketing, right? So everything that we do as we create a message, you know, if you're marketing, you don't always get that immediate feedback, right? But you're in the room with the people, you see exactly how they react. But obviously what you're telling me is that it's not a transactional thing. So maybe you can explain that because I heard your story about the Vatican, right? And I heard you saying to someone, you know, these people want to get married in the Vatican. A lot of people are afraid. They don't even try to figure it out because they think, who do I need to talk to? And you said, well, you take one step, find the next person. And I can tell you that as a person who has worked closely with some better known people, my radar has started to light up. And I can tell, right, when somebody is acting like they're very interested in me because they want access to some of the people that I work with. And that's kind of gross. So what's the difference between that and kind of what you advise? I So I can't play this game with you. Okay, because I've known you long enough, and what has it been, like (laughs) five minutes? But I've known you long enough to know your cynicism, your background, your suspicion, and I know I can't play this game with you because I know you would get the answer right. right? So I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to have to reframe the test. I feel like I'm getting suckered already. Uh, No, you're not, and it's a compliment, and you'll understand why. Screw it. I'll play the game with you and let's see if you do get it right. I'll I'll probably fall for it. So you're in my area next weekend and there's no COVID, there's none of that. And I say, hey, Marion, I'm having a barbecue on Saturday night. You know, do you want to come to my barbecue? And you say yes, because you're in the area, you've got nothing else to do. What's the first question you ask me after that? What, where and when? All right. So I tell you it's going to be in my house. And it's going to be at 8 p.m. in the evening, and it's a warm night, so you'll be fine. What's another question you would ask me? Anything I can bring. Now, I'm surprised you didn't lead with that question first. 
You see, and here's the thing. So you did fail. But here's, here's the funny thing. If you ask a guy that, the guy will go, okay, when is it and, and what time? And then they will say, who's going to be there? Horrible question. And it basically, all of those first questions selfishly help you make a decision as to whether or not you want to come to my party. I've invited you. Your answer should be yes. End of conversation. But those other questions were all self. Well, who's going to be there? What, what, now, what I think should the I where wear? and when is a yes. And, uh, correct. That was very soft. Yes. But most guys, most guys will. Uh, you can try this. Try this with your mates. Anyone listening, try it. The guys get it wrong. The girls get it right. Okay. But the guys will always be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's going to be there? You know, what should I wear? These are all questions that help them. The ladies, nine times out of 10 go, thank you very much for the invite. What can I bring? Okay, which was your question. Think about a relationship. If I come up to Marion, I go, Marion, I know you're connected to Jeffrey Madoff, you know, and this guy, he's incredible. He's fantastic. He's lovely. He's not, he's a bit of an arsehole, but we can say that because I love him. But, you know, I really want to get hold of him. You know, can you make the intro for me? What have I brought to the party? I brought a request. Okay. I'm asking you for something. But if I was to come over to you and go, hey, Marion, I heard your, uh, your interview with Jeffrey. Fantastic character. I would love to have that guy on my podcast. In fact, I also interviewed Jim Quick, Ken Cragen, Jeffrey Moore. I interviewed these people. Would you like me to introduce them to you for your podcast? Now I'm bringing value. I'm bringing something to the party. Okay. A lot of people, when they go into a relationship, they turn up and they go, Hey, me. That's it. The whole conversation is me. Hey, how you doing? I've got this. I'd like to work with you. I'd like you to sell my product. I'd like you to be the spokesman for I'd like me, 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 me. So whenever I turn up to any relationship that's definitely worth making, I do my homework. Have they got a book out? Have they got a charity? What impact are they trying to create? What business are they trying to work on? Because everyone's got a problem. Everyone has a problem. And you've got to find out what that problem is. What are they working on? You can go up and you can go, hey, how are Here you go. Anyone that wants tactics out of it, get your pen and paper out because here we go. Anyone that's got any kind of profile, and I'm talking about even me, and we were joking about this earlier, Anyone that you can listen to, watch to, read about, people turn up and they go, yeah, Steve, how you doing? And they start talking to me like I went to school with them. And I'm sitting there all confused going, who the hell are you? You know, and worse, I'm thinking, do I know you? Have we done business together? Are you a friend? I don't want to look bad. So now I'm getting a guilt trip and starting to get aggravated. Now, when I realized that I don't know you, then I'm pissed off because I've just spent the last two minutes feeling bad and going, oh, but I don't know this. What do you want? And that's the response you get. And then what happens is they go off going, well, that guy's an arsehole. I thought he was nice. No, you just came into town riding the wrong horse. You came in badly. So what you've got to do is you've got to walk up to people, and I do this all the time, and you go, hey, hey, Marion, how you doing? My name's Steve Simmons. You don't know me. Say that, and then all of a sudden, Marion can let her guard down and go, okay, I don't know the guy, so I don't have to be you know, worried about you know, offending him. 
Now what I want to know is, why does this guy Steve Sims want to talk to me? So that's the next line. Hey, Marion, I hear you've got a new podcast out, and I, I know a couple of guests you've had on there, and I'm hearing it's really, really cool. I've got some people that can help you, and in fact, I can help uh, widen your reach on your podcast. Would that be of interest? I've calmed you down, and I've brought something to the party. Of course, as soon as I hear that, I'm thinking, why is he offering me this? Yeah, and then what you do is you tell the person why you want. In fact, I really like the podcast, and I think it's going to be great. And I'll tell you quite bluntly, I would love to be on your show. But I brought in a potato salad first. I brought in something for you before I asked right, me. Right. So you do those three things. Tell them that you don't know them. Bring something to the party. And then make it completely transparent as to why you're in that conversation. And that is how I've worked with absolutely everyone I've worked with. And I've told them, yeah, you know, you don't know me. Hey, I believe you're doing this. I can help you with that. And this is what I want to do. Now, in some of the situations, I've been able to turn around and go, I know you've got a problem in that area. Have you considered doing X, Y, Z? Because to be honest with you, for 70 grand, I can do it for you. But if you don't need me, I've just given you the three steps of how you need to do it. So I've made it clear. I know what I'm talking about. And I've told you my price tag for doing it. Now, if you were to translate this into, right, like this is social media. Is this the equivalent of sharing information before you make an ask? Is there an equivalent? Or does this only work in person? That works in person. Okay, that works in person. Where people go wrong with social media is the first thing they go wrong about is they try to appear different to who they are. They put on a persona. They put on, you know, someone. How many, how many assholes do you see leaning up against a car that they don't own or sitting there on a, on a private have jet? You been, have you been reading my Instagram? <laughs> yeah, you look great with that car. But there's all the girls kind of like, you know, with the phone so high up, it's like the bloody Goodyear blimp. And these kind of like coming down on them on a private jet going on about, oh, I love flying private and all that bollocks because the camera can't actually pick up the other hundred people sitting behind her. But there's people that try to be someone that they're not. Now, the big C in life is often referred to as cancer. The big C in business is confusion. No one confused will ever give you that checkbook. People go online and put up this social fund of, oh, look at me. I'm very articulate. And, oh, yes, I'm leaning up against it. I'm just going to be flying over to so-and-so because, you know, I'm doing a, you know, I made $100 million before I got off the toilet. There's all these kind of things which are baloney. And all you're doing is you think you're portraying a successful person with all the trappings. But what you're actually doing is you're making yourself unrelatable. Now, if anyone that looks at my Instagram, Steve D. Sims everywhere, you know, you'll often see me with a glass of whiskey, my dog, my motorcycle, traveling around the world doing stuff. But I am impossible, and this is the key word, write this down, folks. I am impossible to misunderstand. And therefore, you can make your decision on whether you want to like, be on one side of the fence or the other. The worst people in the planet are fences. I'm not sure if I like this person. I'm going to help you. You know, I am going to show you exactly who I am. Warts and all, going to help you with your decision. People in the social world, and the worst ones, I'll name an industry which is freaking terrible, I'll name two. 
financial and real estate. In real estate, the girls put up pictures that should really be left alone to either their husband's pages or for Tinder, and they put those bloody pictures up there to talk about real estate when they're in the bikini or trying to look sexy for the night. And financial advisors that have the mandatory dark suit on and red tie and look boring as hell because they think that's how financial advisors should look. You're leading up the obligatory BMW or Mercedes. Be you. Okay? Be you. Make it impossible for me to understand who you are. If you're a cat person, show me pictures of your cat. I will be able to decide then, do I want to hang around with this person or not? But in the world of social, the first thing that you've got to do is place zero effort in being you and allow those people out there to go, I can relate to this guy or, God, he's pissed me off already. I'm going to turn off like some of your listeners probably already have now. And that's fine. I'm there to create one side of the fence or the other. No fences. No, this is easy for me. And I assume for anybody who listens to this show because they know me. And that is in middle school, I tried to be like everybody else. I can't do it. You know, yeah. it's not even because I know that I need to be myself because it's more effective on social media. I'm just not good at anything else. There's nobody else I can be. But isn't that perfect? <laughs> I remember once wearing a pair of loafers with no uh, socks because all the cool kids were doing it. And I looked a knob and it rubbed my bloody heels up and I hated it. But we often look at people and go, well, I, I want to be like them. So the first thing I've got to do is look like them. And then as you get a little bit older, you realize that anyone that did anything fantastical never did it by copying anybody else. So that's what got me thinking, now nah, screw it. So I will literally travel around the world because I'm very well known in the motorcycle community. I'll literally turn up in Italy and they'll have a Ducati waiting for me. And I will turn up to a meeting on a Ducati with a crash helmet in my hand because that's me. That's how I want to be. I don't want people going, who is this person? I want to be transparent. So what I like about this is that you've harnessed your inner authenticity for effective marketing. I mean, you being you actually makes you more memorable, right? And it's more effective, but you couldn't have made it up if you had tried to do it in some kind of fake way. No, the beginning of my career, I had to, to push the needle. So my focus was on the clients. The focus was on the parties. The focus was on the right people in the room. The focus was on the right girls being in the room, creating the right atmosphere. So my focus was on the client in the early stage. And I forgot to focus on me. So I was still the big, ugly guy with the piercings and the tats and the black T-shirt turning up at every event on a ropey old motorcycle. I had forgot to pay any attention to that side. I was focusing on being the solution to your nightlife. As I grew, I was still focusing on the clients until 1997. What happened then? That's Oh, I, I went June 1997. I fell in a hole. I had a deal with Ferrari, and they wanted me to work an event in uh, Monaco. And so I had been doing my concierge thing for like eight years. I already had some of the most powerful people in the planet as clients. But I had to throw this party in Monaco, and I suddenly thought to myself, hang on. I've got these earrings, tattoos, and a motorbike. No one's going to take me seriously. I forgot that my life was already good. 
But the doubt came in, as it does, imposter syndrome to all entrepreneurs. So I went out and I remember buying a Audemars Piguet watch that was the price of then the Range Rovers. So the standard joke was, I've got a car on my wrist, you know? But it's but it's and that, a, and that car is the is the cost of a house. So you basically have a house on your wrist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I also had a handful of tailor made suits made for me. Okay, now I like throwing a suit on or a tux every now and then to go out. But I'm not wandering around in these things. You know, I'm not waking up on a Saturday and putting a suit on. But I did for Monaco, and then worse, I bought a car. I actually bought a Ferrari and a vintage Ferrari. And then I realized I had bought this watch to impress you. I was wearing this suit to impress you. I was driving this car to impress you. There was all these layers. And I went down to Monaco and I was with Sylvester Stallone, Hugh Grant, Elizabeth Hurley, all the top people of the time. And I came back, back home. And it was those times, do you remember when you used to get the roll of film, stick it in an envelope, post it off, and sometime within the next three years, you'd get your photographs back? So I remember being at back at my home, and I got there, and I was like, oh, my God, there's going to be me with all of these famous people. And I opened it up, and I'm flicking through it, and I realized I wasn't in any of the pictures. This superficial prick with the overpriced watch and suit was, trying to be something. He had no exposed tattoos. He'd taken out of his earrings. I was like, who did I do that for? I sold the most valuable commodity I had. I sold myself. For what? Now, a lot of these people in the room, and this was a funny thing, a lot of these people in the room, they already knew me. But you know what the funny thing is? I never had a single conversation with them that night because I didn't show up. My alter ego pricked it. So when I saw those pictures, on a serious note, I actually drunk myself stupid. It was so bad that my wife, Claire, brought some friends in to kind of, you know, slap me around and kind of pull me straight. But I went into a depression. I had sold myself. So before I got out of bed, the car was picked up and taken away. The watch was taken into town and hocked off. The suits were put in a cupboard, were never worn ever again. And I went back to write, I'm only ever going to be on a bike and in a t-shirt and stuff. And you know a funny thing? I went to an event once I started getting going. And you know when you go to those regular events, there's always someone in the bar or the party that you know by their first name only. It's like, hey, Tim. Hey, Steve. And you know nothing else about them. You don't even... Or you even worse, you have those made-up names for them. You know, it's like, oh, you're the... You're the you know, chipmunk guy. <laughs> exactly. There's always that person in that bar or that regular place you go to that you don't want to engage, but you know the name. And so just have a, hey, Rob, you know, just that kind of thing. So there was this event that I used to go to every single month. And I had, for the first couple of months, or the, the couple of months leading up to the party, turned up in a car in a suit. And there was this guy that I didn't like. I don't know why. He was just an irritating little kind of parasite in this party and i had gone back to this party in my black t-shirt jeans and my crash helmet was on the bar and i'd gone back to this event because i thought to myself i wonder if i've changed or has the world around me changed and so i went to this monthly meetup of all the top businesses and people that i would regularly go to and this guy walked past me and he's like Hey, Sims. And I forget his name, Rob. And I'm like, hey, Rob, you know, didn't want to know anything about it. And he turned around and he said, I haven't seen you here for months. 
do you know, I suddenly realized I had never missed an event, but he was right. For the last couple of months, I hadn't actually shown up. There's this guy in the suit had. So I got. And not only had you not shown up, right? But like you were invisible because you were trying to be like them. The people that I attracted during that three month period, I actually made good money off of because they were also superficial pricks. And I suddenly realized I had no relationship with these people. Now, once I got rid of all of that and went back to my relationship, some of my friends turned around and they said, yeah, we saw you try that new look. What was all that about? And I was like, ah, I wanted to see what it was all about. And I laughed it off, but I had sold myself out. And do you know what funny thing? I still have a picture of me leaning up against that Ferrari doing my best Don Johnson Miami Vice impersonation. I still have that picture in my office. Maybe we need to mem- use that for the thumbnail image yeah, for this. Yeah, maybe we don't. <laughs> I still have it there just to kind of like tell myself, you sold out your greatest commodity. So I realized then I'm never selling me out for the benefit of you. Yeah, I can see that this isn't even funny for you. This is like, this is serious stuff. It's very serious. You know, all entrepreneurs get to a level in their life, and I'm not saying financially or success, but sooner or later, that entrepreneur walks into a room and goes, oh my God, I shouldn't be around these people. And the imposter syndrome comes in. And it altered my life. It altered what I viewed as important. And it was a very, very important thing for me. So had that not have happened, and thankfully, had it not happened way back then, maybe it would have been too late for me to correct it. Or maybe it would have come in slower and I wouldn't have noticed a massive change that it was making in my life and I wouldn't have been able to kind of repair it so quickly. But that's why I've been very adamant to make sure that I turn up as me. I worked for Elton, as I say, for eight years. I name-dropped that subtly earlier for his Oscar party. And I loved wearing a tuxedo. I am seen like, it's kind of dress up time. I wear a tuxedo. I go to the Oscar party. It was great. But in some of those pictures, if you look down, if you can see my shoes, I had leather Vans sneakers on. So I'd wear my leather Vans with my black tuxedo. I used to love it. And you were being yourself. You were just dressing for the occasion, which is a different thing. That is a big different thing. But I still had me. I still had me Vans on. This has been a great conversation. And of course, we're talking very little about marketing, but that's okay. Because it's, it's been so interesting. Yeah, I think we've revealed a lot of marketing. I think we've done identity, branding, message, tonality, clarity, transparency, authenticity. I think this has got to be the best show you've ever done. Way better than the knob, Jeffrey. D- d- well, I, I, what did you say? <laughs> if I'm on the fence, you don't like me. I think I'm going to have to sit on the fence on that one. Oh, well, it's Jeffrey. So I've got to admit, I'm on Jeffrey's camp. So that's fine. So before we started, I kind of gave you a warning. And I think we've talked a lot about the ethics as well. But I warned you that I was going to talk about the ethics and where the line is between manipulation and persuasion. And you said, oh, I have a very strong opinion. So if that wasn't part of what we've talked about already, because I think it's kind of seeped in, I want to give you a chance to express that very strong opinion that you you prepped. All right. So We've just gone through a year that no one could have conceived outside of a Hollywood movie, okay? The entire planet, for the first time, can have something that is relatable. Even during world wars, there's been countries that weren't involved in that. So for the first time ever, we've got something that absolutely everyone can relate to. Also, at tolerance level, 
is very, very low because we're living in a state of pissed off. We've got politics, we've got economy, we've got pandemic, we've got vaccines. We don't know anything. So we've lost clarity. And when we don't have clarity, we get very, very fidgety. So at the moment, we are very, very angry. Normally, we would put up with a lovely bit of sales spill or a lovely picture that told us how you can make me fitter by subscribing to your course or taking those weird tablets. Now, because of our tolerance level being so bad and so hyped up, we don't have space for that. It's the straw that breaks the camel's back. So people out there thinking that you are going to sell your product today by smooth copy and manipulating pictures and you know false promises, I'm telling you, you're spinning your wheels in the mud there. However, focus on one thing. What are you the solution to? Now, there's a massive difference between aspirational marketing, that's, hey, buy this Ferrari, you would have made it. Buy this watch, it'll signify your status. Buy this handbag with the Gucci logo, because then people know you have reached that level. That's aspirational marketing. There's no marketing that's aspirational on a headache tablet box, okay? Because the headache tablets have to work. You know, you've never woke up at two o'clock in the morning going, shit, I got a bad headache. Go to the cabinet, pull out the box and go, you know, I don't like that logo. I'm going to put that back and find another one. No. I don't like the hair color of the model, right? Bingo. You don't care about any of that when it's a solution. So today, people want problems removed. I want clarity. If I have a problem with my garden, I want to know I haven't got to worry about it. My car's making a horrible little click, click. I want that to go away. We want solutions. We want solutions to our problems. And as entrepreneurs, we solve your problems for a check. That's what we do. We get paid for you to outsource your problem to us and we solve it. So you've got to understand what am I the solution to and then who's got that problem. And here's the funny thing. When you are the solution to somebody else's problem, you don't need a pretty website. You don't need branding. You know, if I could make people uh, lose 50 pounds by taking this blue pill and it would cost you, I don't know, 2,500 bucks. And I said, ladies, have you been trying to lose weight? Guarantee you, you lose 50 pounds with this pill for 25. How many do you think I would sell? But let me ask you this, right? Today, to your point, right now, there's 300 people claiming to have that pill. How do I know that yours is the real one, not all the other bullshit? Okay, so validation, okay? That's where we come back to the credibility currency earlier, okay? If I've got a relationship with you, and this, this is, we'll play another little game for, I don't know how long we've got, by the way, but, you know, I don't care. So I'll play another little game with you, Marion, all right? Because you're a cynic, and I love you for that. I think you're buttering me up with this cynic talk. This is the second time you've used it. I don't know. Is it working? (laughs) So I walk into a bar, and I walk up to you, Marion, and I go, hey, how are you doing? My name's Steve Sims. I've worked with the Pope, Elon Musk, and Sorrell and John. I'm a big deal. How are you doing? And I go to shake your hand. I mean, I'm going to give you a polite shake, and I'm going to find an, an excuse to extricate myself from the conversation. Bingo. Bingo. Now, let's say, for argument's sake, we've got our mutual friend Jeffrey next to you, okay? 
I walk into the bar and I ignore you. I don't know you. And I walk to the end of the bar and I grab my old fashioned and Jeffrey elbows you in the ribs and go, whoa, you see that guy over there? That's Steve Sims. He's worked with Elon Musk, the Pope and Sir Elton John. That guy's a big deal. Now, what do you want to do? I want to find out more. Today, the validation comes from the root. It comes from who's credible. If I tell you I can do this and I can have you lose weight, then you go, ah, he's marketing, he's full of it, there's 300 people. But if I turn around to you, Marion, and say, hey, Marion, you're working out a lot, but you still want to shed those 50 pounds, take this tablet and tell your friends. Now you're telling people that it worked. And you do that for 10 people, and all of a sudden you've got 200,000 people that are watching because you've got the validation. So today, if you stand behind, and there's the key thing, if you can stand behind the solution that you provide, give it away at the beginning to build up that credibility, that validation, the respect, so that other people are saying how brilliant you are rather than you. I like it. I knew you would. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, I want to respect your time. I could do this forever. And of course, I know that you're completely buttering me up by calling me a cynic because I'm actually the opposite. I'm like the easiest mark there is. <laughs> I've got a blue pill to sell you then. <laughs> and, and if you told me something nice about how what a great interview it is, I would believe it completely. And I would be able, you know, because, you know, because I want to. All right. So, any last remarks? Let's just give people a chance to find you, all that stuff. Well, let's get that out of the way. I'm easier to get than COVID. I'm at Steve D. Sims. There's only one M in Sims. I'm Steve D. Sims everywhere. I'm probably more vocal on Instagram, Facebook. I've got an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims and Steve D. Sims is the website. There you go. That's been out of the way. But it was that word authenticity. I have a problem with it. I think today we want to focus on being transparent. You want to be impossible to misunderstand to allow someone else to know enough about you to be able to make the decision on whether or not they want to be in your ecosystem or not. So I would say today... Get rid of your shields. Get rid of your fake photos. Turn the bloody filters off the camera and just reveal who you are and what you do and what your solution is and have that do all the talking for you. Okay. Even though that was the perfect closing remark, I want to know what's the difference between transparency and authenticity before we close? Authenticity is a new marketing word. And the downside about authenticity is when you look at someone and you go, hey, that person's so authentic, you're really acknowledging the rest of the people behind you are not, okay? Authenticity, to me, you should revere as much as you do someone breathing. It should be something we expect, but it's not because everyone's got these shields. Get rid of the shields, focus on transparency, not the latest buzzword authenticity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Grounded Content Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Steve. I want to thank Jeffrey Madoff again for making the introduction. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this episode was. Reach out on almost any social media at MadMotion or go to my website at madmotion.com slash grounded podcast and leave me a note. Thanks for listening. I appreciate your time.